بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم محمد کریم الحمد للہ to now spend quite a few sessions talking about our beloved messenger so first it is famously related that Sayyida Halima had the unparalleled honor of suckling our beloved messenger in his infancy and he had thus stayed a few years with Banu Sa'ad so just to insult your intelligence when the Prophet was an infant, they would give children to the Bedouins to give them strength. So the Prophet, he went to a fortunate, most fortunate lady called Sayyida Halima. And she was from a tribe called Banu Sa'd. This noble woman, Sayyida Halima, she said, as I entered my dwelling with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, musk thereupon suddenly began to emanate from all the dwellings of the tribe of Banu Sa'd. <coughs> the people's hearts were thereupon filled with love for him. They developed such a strong belief in his blessings that if anyone had pain in any part of his body, he would simply hold the blessed hand of the Prophet and place it on the painful area, thereby curing it immediately by the grace of Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Indeed, even if a camel or goat from amongst them fell ill, they had the Prophet stroke it, curing it instantly. Let's look at this. So this is recorded in Sira Al-Halabiya, volume 1, page 135. So, as is but obvious, when Rasulullah, wherever he goes, blessings go. When he went to this locality, the Banu Sa'ad, all of the dwellings started filling with musk. So, I don't know how extensive the tribe was, but how many tents are you talking? Imagine, one minute, dust, heat, flies. Next minute, you know, a mountain of musk waft. Where is this musk coming from? Mm. Then, obviously, they realized it was Rasulullah. <laughs> so their love for him increased, even though he was a child. Then, look how amazing. Whenever anybody was ill, whenever anybody was ill, they would hold Rasulullah's hand, even though he was an infant, place it on the painful area, and by Allah's grace, cure. They would even do that for animals, camels and goats, curing it. So now why am I mentioning this? Because usually when you talk about the Prophet, people go straight into prophethood. So the question goes to the mind. At the age of 40, he called, announced his prophethood. What happened in those 40 years? So people erroneously think nothing happened. He was just a good person. And then one fateful night, everything happened. That's not true. Right from the beginning, people could see extraordinary signs. 
And look at this for the sign. It wasn't just one person, two. It was an entire tribe. Banu Sa'ad. It is famously mentioned that a black dot was removed from our beloved messenger's heart, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, by the blessed angels. And the angels said, alayhi salatu wa sallam, this is the share of shaitan. So just to, again, insult your intelligence. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa his blessed heart was washed and cleansed by the angels on a few occasions. Why? It was preparing him for the Quran. But there was a black dot. That black dot was taken away by the angels. And the angels said, this is shaitan's share. So shaitan had now no access to him. It was taken out of his heart. But something very interesting is mentioned here. So Imam Sayyuti in his Unmudaj Al-Labib Fi Khasais Al-Habib A sample of the special characteristics of the beloved for the intelligent page 178-9 of the New English Translation Hafiz ibn Al-Subki relates in his Al-Tawashih So this great scholar he said I asked my father So he's a scholar He goes I asked my father Why? Why did Allah the Almighty and Glorious create this susceptibility in the noble person when it was possible for him not to put it there in the first place? So stop in the court. Have you understood the question? The son was saying that black dog. If Allah was going to remove it, why did he put it there in the first place? The father replied, Rahmatullah because it is amongst the totality of human parts and so creating it is a perfection of human creation which is necessary its extraction is a further divine honor that occurred after it so the first thing he said the father rahmatullah is every human has this so rasulullah had to be a human being otherwise you're going to say we can't follow him he's not a human so that's the first thing he said he goes, also it shows the great love Allah Ta'ala has for him. That immediately he took it out to honor him. Then the father said, its removal after its creation is more indicative of further elevation in status and great divine attention and concern than creating him without it. Because the proof is this shows that he was honored above others. If Allah had not put it into his heart, you would not know that Allah is honoring him. Then Hafiz ibn Subki, the son, he said, My brother, not the father, my brother saw our father after his death, surrounded by lights. And it thus occurred to him that these are the, by the meaning of that discussion. Subhanallah. So what happened? The father was basically telling his son, that this was an honor for Rasulullah. Allah was showing great love to him. It's not a blemish. It's an honor for him. And you know, he said beautiful words. Shortly thereafter, the father dies. So the son asks his brother. So they both the sons of the father. And the other brother said, I saw my father. I saw our father. He goes, well, how did you see? Because he was surrounded by lights. Angels. He goes, I think it was because of that discussion he had with you. Meaning what? Note how the more one venerates and honors our beloved messenger, 
then he or she is then also further honored in turn by our exalted Lord. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. So note, this is our approach to the Prophet If we see something and shaitan puts a doubt into your head, that, that black dot, look how shaitan works straight away, put a doubt into that scholar's heart. He goes, look, he's got a black dot. Just like the rest of us, what's special about him? He went to his father. His father then taught him how to react to these wiswas of shaitan. He's always turned it around. Saying, no, this is good. Allah Ta'ala is honoring him. And because of that, look how Allah Ta'ala honored the father. Even though he must have been a great scholar. But the son goes, I think, forget about the scholarship. It was that way he was loving and respecting the Prophet. That gave him this great status now in the grave. So note again, we should be like that. We should honor Rasulullah. Always talk honorably about him. Another example. In Ruh al-Ma'ani 30-532, Abdullah ibn Abbas, he said, Once Rasulullah, he got separated from his grandfather, Abdul Muttalib, in a valley of Makkah. So stop in the report. Rasulullah's father, was Abdullah. His father was Abdul Muttalib. The father passed away before he was born. So he never saw his father, So his grandfather had a great love for him, obviously through him, because he's his son's son. So he was always with him. One day he separated, something happened. Abdul Muttalib searched in vain. He came back to Makkah and he was weeping and weeping. And he was supplicating, clinging to the curtains of the Kaaba for his grandson to be found. So he had so much love, he thought, oh my God, what's happened to my grandson? He's crying at the Kaaba, thinking, look, oh my Lord, help me. Meanwhile, Abu Jahl, <laughs> so this is before this now. Meanwhile, Abu Jahl was returning on a she-camel from the herd of his goats. So he's doing his like, looking after his father's, you know, flock. He's on a camel and he sees Rasulullah. So the Lord is, Abu Jahl thereupon made his camel kneel and he asked the Prophet sit behind me. In other words, what are you doing here? So Rasulullah sat behind him. But then when Abu Jahl tried to make the camel rise, the camel wouldn't get up. So Abu Jahl is thinking, what's, what's happened to my camel? He thereupon thought, is it because Muhammad sitting behind me? Sallallahu sir. He thereupon made the Prophet Sallallahu him sit in front of him. Immediately the camel stood up. Subhanallah. Dus Subhanallah. Look what Ibn Abbas said. Just as Allah Subhanahu wa Taala made Musa meet his mother through no other than Fir'aun, he similarly made his messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Meet his grandfather through Abu Jahl. Subhanallah. So let's explain this. So up to the miracle we know. We explain it. What's this last bit Ibn Abbas is saying? He's saying that you go to Musa <coughs> So again just to insult you. Firon was told by his advisors you, you have to kill all the children. All the males. Because one of them is going to destroy you. So he goes, right, kill all the newborn sons of the Bani Israel. But then somebody goes, hang on a minute, or king, or sorry, or Fir'aun. If you kill them, who's going to be our slaves? So he goes, what do you want me to do? He goes, one year kill them. 
Ludiyah let him live, so we have some slaves. So anyway, Musa mother, she gave birth to him in the year where they were being killed. So what happened? Allah Ta'ala inspired his mother. Now this is something we cannot understand. And he inspired his mother, put your son, your infant son, in a taboot, like a covered box, and put him in the liver Nile. Now be honest. If it wasn't Allah Ta'ala inspiring her, you're thinking, no mother's going to ever do that. What the heck? It's certain death. The river Nile is crocodiles. So she did it. Then what happened? Allah Ta'ala caused that, you know, Tabut to go to Pharaoh's palace. And what happened? Pharaoh's wife saw the child. She fell in love with him. They couldn't have children. They couldn't have children. So she said to Pharaoh, look, the joy of our eye, Qurratu Ayun. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, if Pharaoh had said the same words, Allah Ta'ala would have given him Iman. So if he had just said like his wife said, yes, the joy of our eyes, that would have been enough for Pharaoh to become Muslim. But he didn't say it. The Prophet said that. Nasai, in a hadith in Nasai and Al-Bidayah. So look what Ibn Abbas said. Allah Ta'ala made Musa wasalam, meet his mother through Fir'aun. So how did that happen? So Musa wasalam, mother, she's now so fearful for her son, thinking I put my son in the river Nile, God knows what's happened to him. So she told her daughter, go and find out if anything, where he is. To cut a long narration short, she to her shock, she found out he's in Fir'aun's palace. So anyway, she goes in, you know, pretends to be kind of a servant. And she's looking, and Musa wasalam, he's refusing milk. So a woman comes, he turns his head away. He doesn't want the milk from that woman. So Pharaoh's wife goes, Who will suckle my son? So the sister of Musa that you know was sent, she put a hand up. Because I know somebody. Because who? Because I know a woman, she, he will not refuse her. Because bring her, bring her quick. So what happened? She went back to her mother. She goes, Mother, come. Where are we going? He goes, Pharaoh's palace. She goes, Pharaoh's palace. In other words, are you feeling all right? She goes, no, no, no. He goes, your son's there. So she goes. And then Musa instantly starts suckling. Pharaoh gives her a wage. He goes, you keep suckling my son. I'll pay you. <laughs> so Ibn Abbas said, Allah Ta'ala made Musa meet his mother through who? Pharaoh. Then look what Ibn Abbas said. Look how he's done it again. He similarly made his beloved messenger meet his grandfather through the Fir'aun of this Ummah, Abu Jahl. So look how Allah Ta'ala does things. You know, Ajib, you know, like the Bible, we don't know whether it's true. The Bible says God works in mysterious ways. It seems to be true. <laughs> mysterious meaning we don't know what's going on. But Allah Ta'ala did this. Now think about Abu Jahl. Now what do we know Abu Jahl? All we know is that he was a big shaitan. <laughs> He was always after the Prophet. He wanted to kill him. He sent an army after him, this, that. We know that. But did you know that he knew him 40 years before Naboot? Did you know that? Because, so how did he, what relationship did they have? They had a very good relationship. He wasn't his enemy. He was an enemy to Allah. And look how beautiful. He saw him and he goes, what's Muhammad doing here? Because they were roughly the same age. He goes, Muhammad, come on. He goes, sit on my camel. So the Prophet obviously sits on the bike. Camel goes, no chance. Firon and Fun, Rasulullah bike, not gonna happen. So he's trying to work here. He works here, but he thought. 
maybe Muhammad should be sitting in the front. Sits in front, come on, get up. <laughs> and Ibn Abbas said, look how Allah is doing it. Abdul Muttalib, imagine, he must have been so happy with Abu Jal. <laughs> but he didn't realize that this shaitan is going to cause so much harm to his grandson afterwards. Well, Allah did this. Alas, after seeing such endless signs of Nabuat for around half a century, Abu Jahl remained defiant in his unbelief and he was dispatched to hell on the fateful plane of Badr. We recently went through the companion Abdullah ibn Mas'ud's life. He killed him on the battlefield of Badr. 50 years, imagine. Don't feel pity for him. Imagine you spend one day with the Prophet. Would you think, I've got doubts? You'll come back like, oh my goodness, 120% is the Prophet. Somebody goes, I know somebody spent 50 years with him. He goes, he must be the Sahabat of Sahabat. He goes, not biggest shaitan on earth, Abu Jal. Allah Ta'ala gives guidance that proves it. Our beloved Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, compassion and mercy was beyond comprehension. For instance, it is related a man called Fadala ibn Ubaid was one of those who had vowed to kill Rasulullah, wanted vengeance. So let's break it down. <coughs> Fadala ibn Ubaid, I think it was his father who was killed and his brother in the battles against Islam. This man pretended to become Muslim. But really he thought, I'm going to kill Muhammad when I get my chance. His chance came, or so he thought, when Rasulullah was performing tawaf around the Kaaba. Fadala then had his sword tucked up under his clothing. He was hiding his sword. And he was walking very closely to the Prophet to see getting striking range. So what happened? Hafiz Suhaili in his Rawdul Unuf 7-114. So he's just about to pull the sword. I imagine the Prophet's in Ihram, obviously. It must be Umrah or... Just about to pull his sword out behind him and the Prophet turns around, looks at him, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He goes, what was it that you were just thinking to yourself? <laughs> so, Fadala said, I was doing zikr. I was just praising Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Rasulullah smiled at him. He didn't say anything. He said, Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive you. He then placed his hand for that, he said, on my chest. And subhanallah, he goes, By Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, from the moment he took his hand from my chest, there was nobody more beloved to me than him. So now think about this. How did he know there's a person behind him in the crowd? Mm-hmm. Don't forget, there's not just two doing tawaf, there's you know, hundreds. Mm-hmm. When you do umrah, how do you see that? You don't know who's next year. Mm-hmm. You could have a dagger, you could have a, you know, you don't know what's happening. So anyway, this man, imagine getting closer. Yeah, yeah, I've got him, I've got him, I've got him. Just about to pull his sword, I imagine. Now, do you ever turn around in tawaf? Nobody turns around in tawaf. Mm-hmm. Allah alerted him. He turns around. Because what were you just thinking of doing? So Fadala So stayed away, you know, a bit sharp. You know, I was uh, I was praising Allah. The Prophet didn't say, You're a liar, you've committed a haram act around the Kaaba. Right? Now we get Mulana Sabnaini. Kufr brother. The Prophet said, ask Allah the last forgiveness. So Fadala is still in shock. Then the Prophet sees that he's shaking. He puts his blessed hand on his chest. To calm him. We don't know what he was doing. Make him a dua probably. 
And look what happened. Fadala goes, he took his hand off. He goes, he was the most beloved to me than anybody. Subhanallah, now think about this. This was an assassin in the holiest of holies. If you commit, can you commit a small sin around the Kaaba? No. Every sin is major because you're around the Kaaba. You swear, it's a major sin. You throw litter, it's a major sin. Somebody goes, oh, forget about that, brother. I want to kill Rasulullah. Somebody goes to you, oh my God, right? That's, I don't even know what that is. Rasulullah showed nothing but love to him. Think about that. Do the non-Muslims know this about our Prophet? All they know is that he's going around raiding the villages and taking the women, you know, he was like a warlord. <laughs> First, you educate yourself. We don't even know anything about the Prophet ourselves. What are we going to tell the non-Muslims? No point saying, oh, I'm going to kill you now. Well, you don't even know anything about the Prophet. We're going to kill him for? Do you know anything about him? If you mention this narration, what are they going to think? Because if that, this is what they'll say. If it's true, if that's true, that is amazing. But you suffer in their hearts, right? Because this is our prophet that we you know the people are trying to hide from you. So compare this to what Imam Malik said. <laughs> Imam Malik, rahmatullah he said, when Musa wasalam, was angry, smoke came out of his cup <laughs> and the hair of his body would lift his shirt. This is in Qurtubi, it is Tafsir, volume 7, page 35, one of the English translations. So now what do we know about Musa, he was a very strong, all the prophets were perfect, but some had extra gifts. He was known for his strength. He punched an Egyptian, killed him. They had no intention of killing him. So let's put it into a modern setting. Imagine you're just sparring with somebody. Yeah, you, you give him a little jab, knock him dead. Huh? Thinking, what the hell sort of strength have you got? That's what he did. He just did that. Next minute, he's in Barzakh. So he had tremendous strength. The Hadith in Bukhari said that he actually punched the angel of death. He injured his eye. An angel of death, imagine. The one that you're supposed to be scared of. He's giving him a mukha. So anyway, Musa, he get angry. Why? Because his people were not, they're not all there. They used to trouble him a lot. Look what Imam Malik said. When he got angry, smoke would come. <laughs> Subhanallah. Smoke would come out of his cup. People would think, hey, is that normal? You might get a bit of you know, sweat coming out of somebody. You see that. You see blood pressure. Maybe the jugular vein comes out. Eyes go red. Why well, yeah, you have seen that? Never seen smoke come out of head, brother. His anger is not normal. Secondly, the hair on his body so whatever his blessed hair was, it would lift the shirt. So if there was hair on his blessed chest, that part of the shirt would move. So people would be thinking, oh my God, he's getting angry. Compare that to Rasulullah. Think about that, not to belittle at all, you know, Musa But if you compare that holy soul to Rasulullah, it's heavens and earth difference. Did Rasulullah get angry? Right? He... Instead of punishing, he showed nothing but love and made dua. Imagine, imagine somebody goes to you, this person was trying to assassinate you and you go, may Allah guide him. I'm a bit lost here. Didn't you just hear what I said? He tried to kill you. And he goes, yeah, may Allah guide him. I wish guidance for him, nothing but guidance. What? How pure must the heart be for that? That's Rasulullah's heart. 
Imam Qurtubi, he said this to finish. In Qurtubi, in his Tafsir, volume 7, page 35, one of the English translations, he states, Being quick to anger was the reason why Musa, alayhi salatu wasalam, slapped the angel of death, knocked out his eye. <laughs> so let me explain this, because people go, why would he hit the angel of death? That's a good question. Because he was traveling in the desert for 38 years, 39 years. And his people were always giving him grief. They'll come to his tent without even, you know, asking permission. So the angel of death came. He did the same. He entered without permission. So Musa thought is one of the men. So he gave him a race slap. Right? So angel of death one does. Right? And then the angel of death came back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He goes, Ya Allah, your servant doesn't want to die. So Allah ta'ala then excused him. With the fact that he struck him. You know, we, we understand the context. So Imam Qurtubi said, he was quick to get angry, Musa, because he had that trait. He wouldn't take, you know, like he wouldn't take, you know, prisoners. He'd strike first. <laughs> then he said, Hakim at relates, this is a hadith scholar. Musa salatu wasalam, was excused for that because he was the one to whom Allah Ta'ala spoke. <laughs> it was as if he, alayhi salatu wasalam, thought someone was being insolent to him or was stretching out his hand to harm him, and that was terrible in his view. Do you not see that he argued with the angel and said, how are you taking my soul? Is it from my mouth when I have spoken with my Lord, subhanahu wa ta'ala, or from my ear when I have heard the words of Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, with it, or from my hand which has hold the tablets, or from my foot, which I stood before him on, I spoke to him at Sinai, or from my eye, when my face shone by his light. So what's he saying to the angel of death? Where are you going to take my soul from? Every part of my body is holy. Our beloved messenger said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, when Allah the Almighty showed, Tajalla showed his majesty to Musa, he was able to see an ant, on a stone in the darkness of the night at a distance of 10 leagues. This is in Tabarani and Sahir Qadi Iyad in Shifa, page 38 of the English translation. Thus the angel returned, unable to answer back to his Lord. <laughs> he goes, he doesn't want to die. <laughs> so Allah Ta'ala then said, I will talk to him. <laughs> so now why am I mentioning this? Because Musa, wasalam, he was so beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Look at the way he spoke. You look at the way he spoke to the angel of death. As if we say in today's day and age, who are you to do this? What did he say to him? This mouth, if you take my soul from this mouth, I've spoken with Allah Ta'ala with this mouth. Angel of death, Mustafa, oof, hang on a minute. He goes, if you're going to take my soul from my ear, I've heard Allah Ta'ala speak with these ears. Angel of death, shaken again. He goes, from my hands. I've held the tablets with my hands that Allah Ta'ala gave me. Or from my feet when I stood before Allah Ta'ala on, the, on Mount Sinai. Or from my eye when I saw the Tajallah, the majesty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Angel of death went back. He goes, Ya Allah, he doesn't want to die. In other words, I can't, you give me a command. I can't respond to what he's saying. So what happened? Allah Ta'ala dealt with it. What did he say to him? He says, Oh Musa, alayhi salatu wasalam, put your hand 
on the side of a black ox. How many hairs come on your hands? You will live that long. Every hair, another year. So there's some oxes, you know, if they're quite hairy, you put your hand on it and you'll get, you know, 20, 30 hairs stuck to your hand. So Allah Ta'ala goes, put your hand on the side of a black ox. If you get 10 hairs, you've got another 10 years. So Musa Islam said, what, ah, what happens after that, oh my Lord? Because you die. So Musa Islam said, I'm ready to go. <laughs> In other words, I don't need to live. Well, he made one dua. He goes, oh my Lord, allow me to be buried near Masjid al-Aqsa. Take my body, bury me near Masjid al-Aqsa. And Rasulullah said, I know where he's buried. He's, he goes, he's a stone's throw away from the haram. And he's buried between two red sand dunes. He's very close to Masjid al-Aqsa. Because he looked, he wanted to go there, but he wasn't, he wasn't the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So look how, how amazing. This man could see an ant. He goes, I can see an ant. I'm finished. On a stone. I can see an ant on a stone. I haven't finished. In the darkness of the night. Forget it, brother. Darkness of the night. I'm finished. Distance of 10 leagues. That's about seven, eight miles. So imagine somebody says to you, what's seven, eight miles for me? Chapel town. Brother. Brother. Okay. Somebody goes, I can see her and in Rotherham. You feeling what I brother? Where, where, what are you on about? Can't you see it? What are you on about? I can't even see outside my house. That's because Allah Ta'ala showed his tajalla, he showed his majesty to him. Look at the power Allah Ta'ala gave him. And the angel of death goes, he's not ready. Now what's interesting, who actually took his soul? The report doesn't indicate that the angel returned. So some ulama said, Allah Ta'ala took his soul. Another honor for Musa Subhanallah. So all I mentioned today was now I was talking about our beloved messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And notice, this is, these are the subjects which you need to discuss. Because this is what builds your iman. This is what fortifies your tawheed. Everybody says, La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. But how many have you got it in their heart? How do you get that into your heart? You talk about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You don't know nothing about it. You talk about Rasulullah. Right? And unfortunately, people think they know. That's another disaster. They think they know. And then they realize, I don't know anything. Don't know nothing. I've got all. I didn't know nothing about the Prophet. Astaghfirullah. Are there any questions you'd like to ask? Subhanallah bihamdi. Subhanallah